Asad Haider, it's a deceptively simple question, given it's a highly contested term with a complex history. But explain to our listeners what is meant by, and perhaps more specifically, what you mean by the term identity politics. Well, in political language, it's difficult to give definitions because words tend to be the site of various battles and contestations over meaning. Uh, and identity politics is no exception. In my book, I try to show how historically uh, the term evolves in such a way as to take on totally contrary and antagonistic meanings. Uh, it's introduced by the group, the Combahee River Collective, a black feminist organization which was advancing what they called a revolutionary vision that revolved around the fact that in the movements that they had participated in since the 60s, the anti-war movement, the student movement, feminist black power movements, and so on, black women had been part of the situation but were not represented, were not counted. And so the idea that they, they, they put forward that the most radical politics comes out of our identity was a very specific political intervention around the situation of black women. Uh, and it was the idea that by uh, declaring their autonomy, uh, black women could then enter into meaningful political coalitions. Uh, so that was the beginning of the term. Uh, in the 40 years since that was introduced, it was, it was in 1977, uh, the meaning has changed a great deal. And there's a whole complicated process of how uh, the term is adopted in social movements in the 80s, how it then becomes part of what in the United States was called the cultural, culture wars around political correctness in the 90s. But then finally, we really had a resurgence in the U.S. Uh, in, in 2016 around the presidential elections and the primaries. And at that point, identity politics was advanced as an alternative to class politics, which presumably uh, did not address problems of race and gender and so on. Now, this really reflects more than the actual substance of the claims, more than the, any actual comparison between class or race and gender programs and policies that might address the various uh, problems related with these categories. It was really a kind of instrument used by Democratic Party elite. So this is a kind of contradictory development of the term. Beginning social movements, trying to understand how, in fact, existing uh, movements were based on assumptions about their identities that excluded marginalized men from various groups, uh, to finally uh, a kind of elite attempt to suppress any challenge to the existing political system. One of the problems I have with identity politics is that it seems to me inherently exclusionary because it comes out of the academy, although you've mentioned it also has its origins in the Combahee River Collective and, and activist groups as well. But nevertheless, the language is esoteric, the theories behind it obscure and often difficult to understand. There is, of course, a rich irony here in that identity politics is ostensibly at least supposed to break down divisions between people on the left, not erect walls that make it even harder for them to participate in a political activism. Yeah, and I would say um, some people argue that uh, we should return to the original radical meaning of identity politics uh, back to 1977. I don't think that language works that way. Even in uh, movements that were based around a kind of autonomous organization, especially in the black power movement, when it became attached to some kind of ideology of identity, some kind of idea that uh, identity served as a foundation for the politics, uh, for example, with cultural nationalism, that became a serious political problem because within the black power movement and black nationalist movements, cultural nationalism uh, erased 
the fact of class divisions within the black community. It erased the fact that there were uh, different interests and different political uh, tendencies. And so you had this dynamic in the 1970s in which an emerging black political class, a black economic elite, uh, was able to achieve much greater political and economic power and turn against the mass constituencies that had put them where they were. And so I think that uh, if we look uh, uh, in a broader historical kind of sweep in terms of what kind of movements have actually challenged existing structures of oppression and the contemporary discourse of identity politics, we see a very drastic separation. I'm old enough to have seen some fundamental changes in the way the left operates here in Australia. Back in the 1990s, it was taken as given that it was possible to build what we used to call United Fronts, coalitions of activists and concerned citizens from a variety of ethnic, cultural and social backgrounds with varying sexual dispositions, working together in common cause against a racist politician, cuts to education in defence of refugee rights, whatever the issue happened to be. Nowadays, before any political campaign group can be formed, much less get on with its work, it seems it's necessary for people to jump through a whole series of hoops in order to prove their ideological purity, their activist credentials. Are you white? Are you male? Are you straight? Have you checked your privilege lately? What's your position on non-binary gender fluidity and so on? The starting point for coalitions, in other words, is mistrust and division instead of solidarity and unity. Is it a similar situation in the United States? Yeah, we have a lot of similar dynamics in the United States, and I believe that uh, that mistrust um, and that kind of uh, uh, destructive dynamic within organizing efforts and within organizations uh, really comes out of powerlessness. It comes out of a subjective feeling of powerlessness um, because of the uh, way that politics seems to be spinning out of control or going of our classical expectations in the U.S. This Trump is the obvious illustration of this, uh, but also the kind of powerlessness that comes with the uh, decay and decomposition of previously existing institutions and organizations of the left. Um, the, 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 there has been a great retreat uh, for the left um, and the great series of victories for the ruling class, uh, which is uh, what neoliberalism has really consisted of. And I think that as long as we, um, uh, as long as we are unable to achieve the kinds of forms of organization that allow us to generate greater collective power, uh, we will see this kind of mistrust and denunciation and attack continue to eat away at what little power we have left. Unfortunately, it's a great catch-22 because it's exactly these kinds of toxic ways of relating to each other which are an obstacle to developing more powerful forms of organization. So we have a difficult task ahead of us in trying to find new ways of relating to each other that can overcome those things and, and build a greater power. You tell a story in the book that in any other context would be uproariously hilarious about taking part in a meeting with student activists at the University of California at Santa Cruz. An occupation of administration building had commenced, but instead of concentrating on the next concrete steps to be taken to secure the occupation of the building to build the campaign, the meeting became bogged down in a debate about the appropriateness or otherwise of using the term occupation itself. Tell our listeners that story briefly and what it says about identity politics, often strange obsessions with symbolism and language. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, there were a lot of things that went wrong um, (laughs) in that series of events. And certainly one of them was the fact that uh, at the various meetings we had, um, 
nothing concrete or practical was discussed, but it was these issues of language and representation that uh, took up all of our time. Part of that has to do with, I think there's, um, especially in these kinds of semi-spontaneous upsurges, uh, there's a tendency to think that meetings are the most constructive thing to do. Meetings are 99% uh, of time. Uh, you don't actually achieve anything in meetings. The important thing to do uh, is to get beyond the meeting and actually break into groups which can achieve concrete things like canvassing, making posters, planning the next. Um, so I think partly it connects to what I was saying before. Uh, the, the meeting itself is a counterproductive organizational form, and it leads to this kind of circular, endless debate over something which really has no serious stakes. Now, the fact that this word occupation became the center of a highly moralistic uh, and irrelevant dispute, it, it, it's a peculiar thing because uh, I think that part of the um, part of the academic discourses that were dominant up until uh, the early 2000s uh, put forth the idea that language is really um, flexible. The, the, language is constantly slipping and there's a constant slippage of different meanings. You can't pin it down to one single meaning. This is basically a correct insight. But now the identity politics discourse, presumably is continuous with these previous academic fashions, seems to think that there is one single meaning that can be attached to a given word, uh, depending on the specific context, depending on the uh, identities of the people making the complaint. And the idea that occupation uh, represented the colonization of the Americas rather than, for example, uh, factory occupations by workers in Argentina and the rest of America or in Italy in the early, 19, early 20th century or anywhere else. Um, that was a rather reduction of the possible meanings of the word. Finally, Asad Haider, how did we get into this situation? How did the hundreds years old idea of collective solidarity degenerate into this strange idea of conditional allyship of black and white, gay and straight, male and female, being daggers drawn and made to prove their ideological purity at every turn? And how can the left find its way back to more effective and enduring methods of waging the struggle against all forms of social oppression and exploitation? Yeah, well, I would say um, it's part of what I said before, that uh, it's the situation of powerlessness, retreat and decomposition which has resulted in this. And that has to do with a couple of thing, things. One, one is the ruling class offensive, uh, which attacked the revolts of the 60s and early 70s and... Uh, managed to fragment the existing left and managed to roll back the various victories that had been won. And um, the process that was called neoliberalism, a crisis management uh, in terms of both the economic crises of the 1970s and also of widespread uh, social upheaval. And uh, that's, on the one hand, a, a fragmentation of our power, and then, on the other hand, the introduction of new kinds of political languages and political practices that revolve around an individualistic uh, relationship to the rest of society, um, a, a kind of uh, economic understanding of all social relations. And this neoliberal turn has been one in which the highly individualistic language of identity politics is able to take hold. Uh, it's used by elites and down to the general public 
and invades uh, activist uh, organizations. And so the, the important thing to do now, uh, as I was mentioning before, is to find new forms of collective power that can oppose that individualization that neoliberalism has put forward. And also, fundamentally, it, it, it can't just stop there at the ideological level, but also has to go to the organizational level in which that individualism is overcome by forming collective power. And that means figuring out what kinds of organizational forms are appropriate for a given moment. It doesn't mean having nostalgia for the New Deal or for the, 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 the golden years of organized labor or of the welfare state. Uh, those are interesting and important historical examples to look to, but they can't just be repeated or they can't just be, you know, pulled out of, the, uh, out of a hat and uh, redeployed now. We have to look at our current existing conditions and figure out what ways we can organize to respond to them and actually build that power.